Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 16. I always, again, for those of you who might not know and might, may be interested at the same time, I always ask the Lord, do you want me to do a special message, a topical message? Do you want me to take a break from the verse by verse? And for some time now, it's been very clear to me that what God wants to say to this fellowship is uh, right there in the verse by verse teachings. Um, I have been enjoying the Gospel of Mark this time through and, and the other times too. We're going to stand and read verses 16 through 32, chapter 15 of the Gospel of Mark. Verses 16 through 32, would you please stand as we read the Word of God, beginning in verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with the reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross Likewise, the chief priest, also mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Please be seated. It is the most bittersweet passage of the Bible. Is very difficult to read publicly. There's a charge of emotions, of course. They crucified him. That's the title to this morning's study of God's Word. There's too much going on between the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and their account of this crucifixion to cover it all. It's out of sequence. I won't take the time to put sequence in place, at least not this round. I, maybe I did it when we did Luke, but either way... Uh, just for example, the detailed uh, verses and prophecies coming out of Isaiah 53, we, there's so many of them. 
Um, we don't have time to go into all, but we'll take some. We go back to verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, the Praetorium, the barracks there at the Antonia Fortress of the Romans. It could house up to several thousand men and the support elements to go with it. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor, his residence was up to the northwest in Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea. Of course, as he comes to Jerusalem for feast time, he's going to bring a large detachment of troops with him to protect him. And they make up the Praetorium Guard. And so here they are at this barracks for them. Uh, The translators have not done well with the word in the New King James here, translated garrison. Some may have cohort. Uh, Either way, it's not a definitive number. It just means uh, sort of a a band of, of troops. And uh, I say that as we move forward, looking down at verse 17, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. So here they are again with the abuse. This time it is coming from the Gentiles, who are not so gentle. And the thorns, of course, every Christian, once we hear that word thorns, especially in Scripture, we're made mindful of sin, because that's what it symbolizes in the scripture. Thorns are directly associated with sin, my sin personally, your sin personally, and mankind overall. Genesis chapter 3, where we read of Adam and Eve falling into sin, uh, God, part of the judgment on Adam was this, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, speaking of the earth. In other words, hard times are ahead. Life's going to stick you. Because it's cursed now. And by the sweat of your brow, you're going to struggle through life. Everything is work in life. You can sit on the couch eating potato chips all day and it becomes work. Uh, There's just nothing, uh, there's really no truly happy place here. We enjoy the the breaks that we get, but it's a business and it goes back to Genesis. Well, the thorns, this crown of thorns, that someone had to take the time it was so important to do this, uh, to, to, to put this crown of thorns on his head, pressing on him with sin for us. This is what it's saying to us. His pain and his blood wasn't important to them. Unbelief still does this to Christ in some way. He is the fulfillment of the scapegoat. In the book of Leviticus, according to the Jewish sacrifices, there were two goats. One they would, they would uh, take and they would sacrifice. Well, he represents both of them. And the other, the other scapegoat, uh, they would, uh, the high priest would lay his hands on the goat and, and the, put the sins of the people on the goat and, and let it run into the wilderness. We pick it up in Leviticus 16. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it, all the iniquities of the children of Israel and their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And there we have pictured the scapegoat of Israel. 
Speaking, it speaks of our sins on the head of our Savior. He is the fulfillment of this verse, that verse speaking of his coming and dealing with our sins. Uh, that suitable man uh, that uh, takes the goat to the wilderness certainly makes me mindful of Joseph of Arimathea. Anyway, the transference of guilt from the one who committed no sin. That goat did not sin. The people did sin. And the guilt is transferred to the goat, who, who again symbolizes this, our sins against God. And this crown of thorns is speaking of these very things to us. The sin is upon him. Uh, as that emblem going back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 18 now, Mark chapter 15. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Here it is, they've missed their chance to adore him. They've missed this chance to love on him. To just show respect, human decency. They're too busy doing their human thing. This has been played out repeatedly through the centuries. And it is one of the great reasons why God has left us, who love the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. To bring this to the attention of those who think that it is fashionable to mock him. Uh, people are too busy living life for themselves, apart from Christ, to listen to the love of Christ. We struggle with it ourselves. We struggle to be focused on what it is we're supposed to be doing as believers, knowing that Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And the cross is that emblem of shame, and of judgment, and of sin dealt with. There's so many things that the cross of Christ speaks to us about, and hopefully I can cover some of that as we move through this 15th chapter. Verse 19 now. Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. What were the angels doing? <laughs> Who was holding them back? Having already received the blows of the Jews in the court of the Sanhedrin, also having received the scourge, the lashings ordered by Pontius Pilate, which incidentally were that when, when Pilate ordered his scourging, he was hoping that the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, would, would have sympathy for Christ looking at him. And so Christ comes out and, and Pilate says, Behold the man. The man. And, and that was hopefully they would not be so uh, bent on his death. And yet they shouted, Crucify him. Uh, so that we get some of that from John to help the sequences flow. Uh, anyway, Isaiah chapter 50 Isaiah, speaking of the coming Messiah, almost 800 years before these events that we're reading here in chapter 16, Isaiah said, I gave my back to those who struck me. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. He took it like the Savior. Uh, he did not back down from any of it. He knew this was coming. And now it is here. And of course, love restrains him from retaliating against these men. Vengeance was, was banished from him by his decree. Father, uh, uh, you know, forgive them. They know not what they do. And speaking of 
our Father who is in heaven. He is watching all of this take place. The Holy Spirit is right there watching all of this take place. The cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, the angel, Michael, Gabriel, they're all aware of what is going on here, except these people are not. Paul, later in his ministry, writes a similar thing. He says to the church at Corinth, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men, condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Of course, as Paul is going around preaching in the Gentile world, many of the Gentiles, they want to hear it. They wanted their idols. They wanted their immorality. They wanted nothing to do with the Savior. And Paul is saying, you know, we suffer these people. They come against us. We're made a spectacle amongst them many times. Still, while Christ is subjecting himself for all sinners, loving the world, not the system of the world, but the people in it, still, most of mankind at this moment is totally oblivious. They're out uh, waking up in the morning, going about their chores, going about their activities. And Owen in Egypt is mindful of this, for example. The far reaches of the world to the, to the east They're not mindful of these things. They have other things to do. And here, the Savior of the world alone, in the eyes of men, is suffering this. Where is Peter? Where is John? Where are the disciples? Well, they would be powerless anyway to do anything. Their lives wasted trying to rescue him would have been just that, wasted. We are grateful that they did not barge in and try to make some sort of rescue attempt. Uh, But we, we look at this and we say, okay, uh, these lessons, they fly off the page towards us. They glare at me sometimes. What am I supposed to do with this information? I don't want my ears to be tickled. I want my heart to be moved so that I can do something with my life for my God. One day I will spend more time with God than I will ever spend with him in this life. And I want my life to be to, to be in, in that direction, pre- preparing for that moment when I am in heaven forever. In verse 20, And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. If this were just a man, if this were a prophet of God, like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Abraham or any of the other great characters of Scripture... We would say, what a tragedy. But this is the sinless one, the creator of the heavens and earth, subjecting himself to this for me. Uh, Hopefully, speaking for myself, it will make me look at my problems a little differently. Because, of course, my problems are always huge. Uh, and, And looking at God, I have to say, he is larger Whatever happens here. Job, in his, one of his expressions of, of just grief over what was happening to, happening to him, was saying, you know, it's gotten so bad between me and God, even if he speaks to me, I wouldn't know it was him. And Job, like us, had said to himself, God is sovereign, therefore he's responsible. What a thought. Responsible for what? Well, God says, I'm responsible for your eternity. How about that? You, This stuff you're going through now, that you're facing now, it won't last forever. And we know that. 
And yet our flesh demands, insists on something uh, protecting us from everything. And God says it's not like that right now. Stay, stay focused on me. I'll save you giving us that example. Every, everything here, the mission was going to be completed. So focused was he on the mission that when it was time to sort of, have, sort of numb him up so he wouldn't feel so much of the pain, he said, no, I still have ministry to do. And I will not enter ministry with a muddled mind. We'll come to that momentarily. Coming back to verse 20, and when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Who would offer him just a sip of water at this point? Who would show just a, just a, a scintilla of kindness? Still to come was the wrath of the Father. Still to come, yeah, the crucifixion, but the wrath of God would be upon him. He, he earned those thorns on his brow because of his love for us. The one person in history that could wipe out all of humanity with less than a blink does not do it. Isaiah, again, chapter 53. He was taken from prison and from judgment for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. They beat him for the sins of my people, Isaiah is saying. God expands that and says, my people are the people of earth. Those who live. And in a sense, not of the sense of a relationship, right relationship with God, but in the sense of the sins of the people, in that lesser sense. The cross they laid on him had everyone else's name on it except him. Very interesting. It should be very interesting, challenging. So you younger Christians, have you ever read Isaiah chapter 53? And if you have, have you said to yourself, here's a man that wrote this 800 years before these events and Christ finished them, followed every one of them. They are prophecies that have been fulfilled only by Jesus Christ. No one on earth comes close to fulfilling Isaiah 53. Leaving us with no excuse to reject him, but every reason to accept him. Just Isaiah 53, for example. There are others. I'm just pointing out that one. Verse 21 now. And they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Well, there's a lot here. I think I don't, I, I remember doing it character study on this Simon the Cyrenian. Um, We're coming back to this and we'll open it up some about the man. A Roman soldier compelled Simon to carry the cross of Christ. All right, we get that. The love of Christ compelled him to never put that cross down. This man becomes a believer. It'd be pointless to mention his children here if the church at that time didn't know who those children were. And at that time, when you had a testimony like that, you were serving God. You were not just a church goer. And for them to say, his sons are with us to this day. Remember, Mark is writing at least 20 years after these events. And still, the, the children of Simon the Cyrenian are in the Gentile church. Alexander is a Gentile name. And there is 
Rufus, who is mentioned again in Romans 16, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And, Paul says, his mother and mine. What a powerful testimony. The, the aged Apostle Paul, many years later, writing to the church at Rome, probably 30 years after this at least, he's talking about this man's son and this man's wife. And he's saying, make sure you say hello to Rufus and his mother, who's like a mom to me also. This is, you know, we were just singing one of the most challenging Christian songs that there is. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. Oh, yeah? Will they really? What a challenge. Challenges me. Simon the Cyrenian. Now, that's a North, in North Africa. And it goes back. The Jews were been, have been there over 300 years since the days of Ptolemy. And they had a substantial community. He is a convert, a proselyte to Judaism. He's a Gentile that has become a, a Jew. They had their own church in Jerusalem. Uh, because they were pretty, no question, knowing how people are, knowing how the Jews were in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, they were sort of, you know, B-class believers. Uh, hopefully we don't have that view of one another. Uh, but anyway, uh, carrying the cross of Christ was something Simon can do. Personally, I, I'm convinced he was a dark-skinned uh, African, which would call, uh, contribute to him standing out in, in the crowd. And, uh, you know, here he is minding his business. And he's singled out. Simon the Cyrenian, in the place of Simon Peter. I wonder if Peter ever put that together. I would hope not for his sake, but, I, you know, we see it. His carriage of the cross was by appointment. He didn't know it until afterwards, much, I'm sure, long afterwards. But that cross never belonged to guiltless Christ. If anybody should carry it, it would be anybody. Anybody was fit to carry that cross. And, of course, those crosses, they were just logs, pretty much. You cut down a tree that was just thick enough. Uh, you know, the girth was enough to hold a man's body on it. And uh, you know, there was no, you know, finished carpenter coming in to make sure that the, the, the splinters were sanded out or anything like that. Was probably still a bark still on it. They just chop it down, put a cross beam on it, and, and impale the prisoner. And likely use it for firewood when it was all said and done. And we'll be glad about that. I might cover that momentarily. I know I say I may cover a lot of things because there's just so much stuff. And you can't see inside my head flying around, bumping all over the place. Uh, anyway, everybody, if you just walked up after Simon was picked to carry the cross, and he is lugging the cross of Christ, and you just walked up, you'd think he was the felon. You know how sensitive we are for people having a wrong opinion about us. They said, what? I, I mean, none of us like to have people slander us, say something about us, especially negative, that is not true. No man before or since Simon can claim to have carried the cross of Christ. Abraham can't say it. Moses, what, the, what a distinction. 
that we cannot look at this man carrying the cross of Christ and say, boy, I missed my opportunity. I have a chance every day to carry the cross of Christ. Not the cross he died on, but the cross he assigned me. Take up your cross and follow me. There's no cross like this. Only Christ could die on this piece of wood. That's why Peter said they, they, they crucified him on a tree, because that still looked like a tree. When you looked at the cross, it, it wasn't, again, this nice block of wood that someone had shaped and, 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 and smoothed out. And when they crucified them, they put them at face level, so you could see into their face the horrors of what crucifixion was. It was to be a deterrent. Rome knew how to do it. They crucified so many of those with Spartacus. They crucified so many Jews when the, after the destruction of the temple, they ran out of wood. The father of Alexander and Rufus, that's who Simon is. And uh, clearly, Mark understood that his audience was familiar with these men. And uh, I think that is what we call testimony. Men or people of Christian reputation. Now, there's no direct evidence in the scripture to equate Simon the Cyrenian with Simon Niger, who was later one of the early uh, deacons or servants of the church in Acts chapter 13, Simon who was called Niger, and uh, the Latin for, for black and likely a reference, and they, they didn't have the hang-ups we, we encounter today about these things, but they did specify, made the distinctions. They were meaningful to them. I believe it is the same man, but I, if you said, well, prove it uh, from the Bible, I, I, I could not do it unless I lied. I could do it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. I don't know. Do you like serious Rick or do you like humorous Rick? I mean, <laughs> am I putting you to sleep with all the points and every now and then you need an injection of humor? Well, um, the writer, never mind. Let's get back to work here. So this man, Simon, his first look at Jesus, it wasn't a pleasant one. He did not see him standing up teaching or sitting down teaching. He did not see him healing the blind or forgiving some woman caught in adultery or, or removing the hideous leprosy. from. He didn't see him that way. His first look is looking at an exhausted Jesus who's out of adrenaline. That's his first look. Christ under the sentence of death and the weight of his cross. Again, Isaiah 53 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. That's how Simon saw him. He esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. I mean, what was his initial response other than why me? Then he gets past that, his look at Christ, how much ministry was in that. Christ is still able to speak. He tells the women who are watching all this take place, he said, don't wait for me. If they do this to the Greenwood, think what's going to happen uh, in, in, uh, to you. Uh, if they do this to the innocent, then the guilty don't stand a chance. It says, and he was coming out of the country and passing by. Apparently, as I mentioned, mining his own business, 
going off, you know, he's probably seen these processions before, and he's just, you know, heading to where he's going. Maybe he's going to the temple for morning worship, because it is about the time of the morning sacrifice. He seems to have no, no intention of stopping to watch what is going on. He stumbles upon Christ, smitten. And it says, as he was coming by out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Well, at first, Christ was carrying his own cross. That was the standard procedure for the Romans. You get to carry your, the, the object you're going to be killed on. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 17. And he, that's Christ, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull which is called, in Hebrew, Golgotha, Skull Hill. He's exhausted, he's dehydrated. He had that intense prayer in Gethsemane where his sweat became like drops of blood. He has endured two beatings for sure, a scourging, six trials, and his body is beginning to fail. The other two, the outlaws, they, did not, they were not subjected to all of this. Oh, they're scourging, perhaps. But they weren't treated like this. And throughout it all, he endures the sufferings head-on in his humanity. In other words, he takes it as you or I would have had to have taken it. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to uh, call upon a miracle and sum up more strength. He doesn't do that. Philippians chapter 2, speaking of Jesus, Paul says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, there's no crime for him to say, I and the Father are one. You and I can't say that. No one can say that except him. He continues, Paul does, but made himself of no reputation. He made himself. This is God planned, not an accident. Taking the form of a bondservant. A bondservant's a willing servant versus one who is enslaved against their will. He continues, in coming in the likeness of men. Well, there it is. That's how he came to earth, in the likeness of man. That's his humanity. When he did not eat food, he got hungry. When he fasted, he felt hunger. When he was cut, he would bleed. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what we're looking at here is him facing the cross with the same physical strength as other men. And he's out of gas. He's been abused to the point he's got nothing left. The Roman soldiers know they're not going to get to the place of, to, to Skull Hill if they wait for him to carry the cross. And that's why they tag Simon. All of us need help from time to time carrying our cross. That's the message that Christ is saying to us. If, if I needed help in my humanity, you're going to need help in yours too. Of course, he dismissed his humanity on the cross when he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That was it. No more humanity. From that point on, is Jesus glorified. The apostles didn't even recognize him. It was such a thorough transition. Well, that's going to happen to us too. This body of the flesh, we're going to jettison one day. It's going to be gone. But until then, we're human. We're flesh and blood. And we better understand that. 
life will teach us that. And you younger Christians will, are learning it. And you older Christians have learned it. The cross. The cross of Christ. Tubular shaped. And yet, uh, uh, we do so many things with crosses to make them look nice. Well, that's no crime. As long as we don't forget, it is the emblem of sin and condemnation of sin and hope for the sinner. That is what the cross is supposed to symbolize in just a flash. It's, 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 you know, a picture paints a thousand words or says a thousand words. The, uh, em- the emblem of the cross in a flash is supposed to say sin and sinners. I condemn, God says, I condemn all sin. I invite all sinners because of what my son did. Galatians chapter 2, Paul writing, you know, Paul went around what is now modern Asia, uh, Turkey, southern Turkey. uh, And he, he moved inland and he's ministering to all of these churches there. And he's making, uh, establishing churches and he, he writes to these churches because there would be those that would go behind Paul to undo his work. And his weapon against them was prayer and the pen, the letter. And he talks about himself. He says, you know, I see all these people talking about you've got to do this to be right with Jesus Christ. If you want to benefit from the cross of Christ, you've got to become a Jew. And you've got to follow these rites and rituals. Or else you won't benefit from the cross of Christ. And Paul said, that's nonsense. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's this old saint, never losing sight of what is so special about our faith, even though he caught so much hardship, so many beatdowns, he never loses sight. He never says, as I am prone to say, why, why, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you bless my ministry more? Why is this all you're doing? Paul, just if, if he had those bouts, he maybe did. The flesh is like that. He wouldn't let anybody see it. Don't devalue that. You parents with children, how important it is at times to not let your children know you are afraid of something. That's fighting. That is, with you're looking out for them. I didn't want to panic the kids. And so we move to verse 22. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. A skull. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a uh, the word escapes me. It's a paradox. It's this dark sockets. Uh, where eyes once were, and that ghastly grin. That's what, you look at a skull, and why are they grinning at me? Why is it, you know, it's it's death. And visitors to Jerusalem, you can still see the, the, you know, there are two sites that are claimed, that are said to be the place of Christ's crucifixion. Most maps will have the traditional one, that ain't it. It doesn't meet any of the criteria from Scripture. It's inside the city. The Scripture clearly says it was outside the city. There was a garden next to it. They're just these these things that uh, uh, the, the Bible makes clear. It was to the north of the city. Uh, well, at uh, there's also a bus station just outside the city walls of Old Jerusalem, and uh, it, it's got the two sockets for the eyes and the, the nose. 
It's uh, not as deep as it once were because they've, they've built it up for the bus station, laying asphalt and things. It's about, it's lost a few feet, but it's still there, right next to the Garden of Gets, uh, um, to the Garden Tomb. And it is uh, uh, quite remarkable to say that. And you say, that's the place. Well, if it was or was not, it's not that critical, but that's the place. <laughs> Uh, verse 23, then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Again, this is a, well, not again, but the, this is one human concession the Romans allowed the, the, the condemned soul to be crucified. They would give him this concoction with myrrh that would uh, sort of uh, get them a little... Uh, alter their, their senses, their feelings, a little drunk, you could even say, uh, uh, to numb the nerves before they began. Uh, how come they didn't offer this before that scourging? Uh, that would have been helpful. But the Lord refused to drink it. He did not, as I mentioned earlier, want his senses muddled. He was going to drink the dregs of this cup. His mind was not going to be stupefied. He still had work to do. In dying for us. His seven teachings that come from the cross. You know the seven words of Christ. Uh, which are teachings. Uh, uh, seven of them. They're not under the influence of any substance. He had a clear mind. Just because he was impaled. Did not mean that he was not clearly thinking. You know, for just one for example. When he says to Mary. To, uh, about John the apostle. John's going to take care of you now. John, you're going to take care of her now. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your, your, your mother. I mean, he just said, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, look out for her, John. Uh, did that with a clear mind. You couldn't go back and say, yeah, well, that was, it was under the influence of that myrrh concoction. No, he was not. Verse 24, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. All four Gospels rush over this. They simply say they crucified him. Not daring to emotionally work into the story with graphics, our feelings of pathos or sorrow. We don't need the graphics to know what's happening here, to feel it. When you first read this as a Christian, did you need anybody to illustrate this to you on the screen or did you get it through the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you weep? When I first read this, I wept, and sometimes after. I have a hard time just, you know, standing up reading, and I'm saying, I don't want to lose my self-control over what is going on here. Those men that recorded this event, all four of them, had no interest in detailing the horrors of it all. They loved the Lord Jesus so much, it hurt them still to write. Uh, John, over 40 years later, writing his gospel, still hurt. And they were not going to dwell on it. They crucified him. They crucified him, okay? That's how it is given. See, twice it's said that way in this section. They crucified him, they crucified him twice. Okay? Hollywood makes money daring to illustrate what the disciples dared not to remember or record. And may we remember that. We're, you know, emotions are useful um, but they can be quite a problem, and they can, they can mess things up. Uh, anyway, they divided his garments, it says here, 
in verse 25, the only material possession that he, we know that he was in, that he owned, his clothes, the clothes on his back. The birds of the hair have nests, the foxes have holes, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. These men, they felt that they were entitled to his clothing, not his family, but they were entitled for all the hard work that was going into killing him. Depravity is sin's work. Psalm 22, uh, all written before Isaiah, a thousand years before these events, the psalmist writes, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. They gambled for my clothing. You know, pick a straw, pick a card, some means of trying to find out who's going to be the winner. He did not only have the seamless robe that says to Christians, seamless ministry is a good thing. Where just you just get ministered to. You don't see where all of the you know the the, the joints and the uh, everything is just seamless. No, just the distractions are reduced. Be impressed with that. Well, he did not only have that garment on; he also had the outer garments on the top of that, and this is what they wanted. Roman Catholicism thrives on relics. This, uh, I don't say this to be mean-spirited. It is a fact. I mean, where else can you get thousands of dollars for the image of Mary, whatever she looked like, on a piece of grilled cheese? And this happened. It's $28,000 for that. And there are many other such things that are done like this in his name. Imagine if they could get a hold of um, his garments. They would have had a cathedral for this. And if you say, well, I don't like hearing you say that. Well, why? Because you know it's true. That's why. Because if, if, if I belonged to a group that was doing something wrong and somebody pointed it out and I couldn't dispute it, I wouldn't like it either. But I, don't, I wouldn't defend it, I hope. This is shameful. To, to pray to Mary is bad enough. Then to claim some image of her that speaks to humanity is the devil's work and stay away from that. You... Paul said to the church at Colossae, you are complete in Christ. You are complete in him. You don't need to add to that when it comes to your spirituality. To determine, it says here in verse 24, what every man should take. So they opted out of the salvation and they preferred haberdashery. <laughs> they preferred, preferred the, the little ornaments that go with men's clothing. Over salvation. Mark chapter 8, verse 37. We all know this verse. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, they gave, you know, lots. Of, that They got clothing. That's what they exchanged. Although, they do wisen up towards the end of all of this. Now, we won't get that this morning. Verse 25. Now, it was the third hour and they crucified him. So, there's a second time. They crucified him. That's it. Trial occurred at 6 a.m., about sunrise. His crucifixion at 9 a.m. By 3 uh, p.m., he, he gave up the spirit. He was gone from this life and his humanity. Again, what do I do with all these Bible facts? I take them to the Lord and I ask him what he wants to do with them. They belong to him. It's, uh, my responsibility is to be diligent in giving God every opportunity to do something with me. 
And there's a lot that goes into that. Logistics is big. You got to stay healthy. You got to eat. You got to go to work. And there's a lot of things you have. Personal hygiene is uh, haircuts. Uh, you know, uh, there's just so much we have to do that goes into that. That that's okay. Even sometime downtime entertainment, but all of those things exist. They're logistical. They exist for the front line of our life is to serve Jesus Christ and to preach Him. Um, and any church that doesn't preach that, I, I think they have big problems. Anyway, this was the time of the morning sacrifice when they crucified him. And for the next six hours, he was finishing up ministry while suffering. I've been saying, I've said this to at least three people this week. Uh, not that they needed to hear it, but they gave me an opportunity to speak. So that's what I said. And what I said was, ministry is suffering. If you're, not minist- if you're not suffering in ministry, you're probably not ministering. I don't mean nonstop. Nobody can take that. But I mean, it's, just, it's, just, it's not this just you're standing up in the pulpit sharing everybody with the deep things of Christ. There's a lot more to it. And it's the same for you. You're no different. If you're going to be effective to Christ, for Christ, you're going to suffer. So get ready for it. And you may say, yeah, but is it meaningless suffering? That's what I ask. I always ask. I don't want a useless life or a meaningless life. Is it count? And I don't always get answers. Oftentimes, God leaves me to just keep moving forward. And anyway, back to what we have. Uh, here he is, again, suffering for mankind while the entire planet went about its business. Verse 26. And the inscription of the accusation was written above, King of the Jews. It is an inclusive statement that is put over his head. Mark truncates it. He shortens it to the king of the Jews. John says this in chapter 19 of his gospel. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, end quote of John. And so Pilate makes sure that this this message gets out to all the dominant languages in the land. They're very careful about this. He doesn't know God is using him. It belongs to the prerogative of God. Written in the Greek, that's the language of the world's culture. In fact, when the Romans came into authority and defeated the Greeks, and they were now the world's superpower, they... They, took, they loved the Grecian culture, and they took as much of it as they could. They changed the names of God. You know, Zeus became Jupiter and things like that. But the Greeks set the standard for culture, and the Romans knew it. The Latin, the language of, of Rome, uh, that's the, the world's power and all of its creativity. It's building, it's aqueducts, it's roads, it's armies, it's war machines. Everything is bundled into the power of the world, and we see it to this day. The world, people on earth, can do incredible things only because God has given them the ability. God withheld the knowledge just of electricity, of the harness electricity. He withheld it for most of humanity. It's just within a few hundred years that now these things have been rolling out for us. And man just thinks that he's doing it apart from God. Uh, He's wrong. Well, Hebrew is the third language. It was the language of the world's only revealed religion that is now becoming obsolete at this point in history when these events are taking place. 
And so, God says, the whole world, all humans, religious, cultural, powerful, they have endorsed the death of my son. That is the statement. Again, the Greek, intelligent man, the thinker. Rome, the industrious man, the hard worker. Put those two together and add to that the religious man. And there is encapsulated three dominant traits of humanity that functions very nicely without God for one lifetime. And then that's it. Well, the crime against Christ was he was an enemy of the state. Treason. You know, he said he was king of the Jews. Well, the Romans would say, well, only Caesar is. And, and that's how they went about covering themselves. Verse 27. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Oh, incidentally, when he said to the one outlaw, today you will be with me in paradise, what happened to purgatory? He goes to paradise. It's a doctrinal statement. It is not something that we just dismiss. as oh, that's unimportant. It's a critical point injecting false teachings into what God has revealed is sin. Uh, anyway, com- coming back to this, uh, the, the two robbers, one will make his last choice and it will end in eternal suffering and misery and the other will live forever. Isaiah, again, a different verse, but still speaking of these things. Verse 9 of Isaiah 53 And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Well, the wicked are these two outlaws, and the rich, of course, is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they were likely, uh, I don't know for sure, but there may have been others also. Uh, These outlaws um, weren't the only wicked people there, of course. Verse 28 So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verse 12. He poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many. And uh, uh, this is uh, many not as though, many is not used in the sense of, well, not everyone, but just a lot. It's, It's more like, the host of the earth. It's, in, it's, it's all inclusive. Anyway, God's word is never treated casually in God's word. And that's why you have Mark pointing out these prophecies. You see, God called this. Nobody else fulfilled this. This is right for Jesus Christ. Fulfilled Bible prophecy is a weapon against unbelief if we use it. Verse 29. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying... Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days. Well, they're laughing at him, not knowing he's the one that created earth and the heavens and just out of space in six days, only because he was taking his time. He could have just blinked and everything would have been there. Isaiah 40 this time, verse 12, speaking of Messiah, of God. And again, Messiah of the Old Testament is Yahweh of the Old Testament, and Yahweh of the Old Testament is Christ of the New Testament. Uh, It says, Isaiah 40, verse 12, about him, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heavens with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth. When it says measured the heavens, God says, now, it's anthropomorphic. Isaiah is saying, 
It's as if God said, let's make the universe about that big. Uh, that's the, the language that he is using. When he says he weighs the mountains and scales and the hills and balances, uh, of course, it's poetic language. But Psalm 22 is more direct, speaking about this mockery of him that's going on. Uh, Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in Yahweh. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. If you are a Christian and you serve Jesus Christ, at some point you're going to come to that place where you trust in the Lord. But it doesn't seem he's delivering you. It, it belongs to the ministry in Christ. And that's why Job said, though he slays me, I trust in him nonetheless. Verse 22, uh, chapter, uh, Psalm 22 again. For the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. You can't say that about anybody. I mean, you can't make this up. This is why the guilty, the judge, those judged by the Lord will not have an excuse. Verse 30. Save yourself, they said to him. Come down from the cross. They spoke right words with wrong meanings. Nehemiah, the great wall builder of Israel. Um, Nehemiah was a leader. Now, he was no politician. And he would beat you up if you got a, on his wrong side. I love this guy. Anyway, he, uh, so, I, so, so what did he say? So I, I chastened them. I pulled their beard from their hair. I smitten them. I smote them. He's just funny as anything. Uh, anyway, not tended to be funny. But here's what he said. Uh, when they, they wanted to kill Nehemiah because he had, he had closed the wall, he built it, he didn't yet hang the doors. And so they said, okay, let's lay a trap for him. Let's call him, we'll have a conference and we'll kill him. And so they send a messenger and this is what Nehemiah sends to the messenger that comes and says, hey, come to this meeting. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you, pinheads? He didn't say pinheads, but he meant it. Uh, but anyhow, you see, why should the work cease and I come down? That's what, well, save yourself, Jesus. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself. And the response is, why should I leave it and go down for you when I'm dying for you? Anyway, uh, they supposed him to be weak, but it was the power of restraint. Mark's Gospel 10, verse 45, for the, even the Son of Man did not come to... Be served, but to serve and to give his life ransom. Okay, we're almost done. Verse 31. Uh, some of you might be saying, why didn't you say that 20 minutes ago? Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said he saved others himself. He cannot save. That is right. He cannot save himself if he is going to save others continuously. These men had the power to prevent all this. And, of course, they didn't want to do that. And we remember that it was biblical ignorance on... They claimed to be Bible teachers. They claimed to honor the Scripture. They claimed to uphold it, and they didn't even know it. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I don't want, you know, knowledge puffs up. I don't want to learn, 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 and become, you know, this, this guy that judges everybody else with the Scripture. I want to be... a instrument in God's hands because of the scripture. Uh, well, we don't have time to get into how God dealt with them on this. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15 is one spot where he just tried to wake them up. This is satanically inspired that these uh, people could be, to, to, 
They're stuck in ritual and a dead as a doornail religion at the same time. Verse 32. Let us uh, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. So they're ganging up on him while he's on the cross and uh, they want another miracle. Are you kidding me? Uh, can you, I mean, if I were, if just me in the flesh, I would ask from the cross, are you that stupid? You've watched me for three and a half years do countless miracles that are validated. And you're asking me for another one after you've, you're killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. I mean, it's the kind of thing that's happening here. But it's, it's just horrid that it's spooky that people can do this with religion. And so Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. That's what's happening on this moment. Um, I close with this. Again, the cross of Christ is the emblem of condemnation on all sin and an invitation of salvation to all sinners. That's what the cross of Christ is supposed to be. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, what can we say but thank you? Thank you for dealing with our sin. Every human being knows they've got issues And only those who are saved know that you have an issue with those issues. And they can only be resolved with your son. If you have been listening and you have never opened your heart to Christ, you have an opportunity now. All you need to do is invite him in and admit your sin. You say to the, if you say these words to the Lord and mean it, he promises to receive you. Because he blesses a contrite heart. But that heart has to be contrite according to the revelation of his word, which is his will. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I have violated your law and your will. And I need to be forgiven by you. And I ask you to forgive me. I receive your invitation, which cost Christ the cross on my behalf and I ask that you would forgive me and from this day forward be not only the one who died for me but the one who is willing to rule over my life as my Lord I give my life to you right here and right now and now Father if anyone has made this prayer this morning whether here in the church or online may they not be ashamed of it and when invited to may they be quick to make their confession known And these things we commit to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.